0: What's up, you guys? Thank y'all for the applause, and uh, my name is Lawson Clary. I am the executive pastor at Five Point Church in Easley, South Carolina, and, you know, it's it's kind of crazy that I'm here today because uh, Pastor Travis and I were really, really close. Um, he was probably my closest XP friend in the world, and... Uh, us executive pastors, we call ourselves XPs, we're a different breed, all right? This is not normally what we do. We don't get up in front of people and talk. We love doing the behind-the-scenes things and making everything run as smoothly as possible so that more people can come to know Jesus and so that God's kingdom can grow, all right? Um, and so I will say this. You guys have been in my prayers so much, um, And I will say this as well, is that y'all have been an inspiration to our church. I shared out a lot of the stuff that was uh, taking place down here, and it was inspiring to our church of seeing a community of believers and families come together as one family and to celebrate a life well-lived and also to understand that it doesn't stop now, that it's only getting started And as I was walking up here and saw um, over in Pastor Brandon's like prep area, there's a timeline on the wall and Pastor Brandon and our senior pastor, Pastor Dean Herman, who's my father-in-law, he's about 6'6", 290 pounds, big guy, really loud, and I love him. Very lovable, but he'll scare you. Um... But him and Pastor Brandon have just gotten so close, and I saw a timeline. And so Pastor Brandon goes, and uh, Pastor Dean teaches the New Testament and Old Testament workshops at our church and at his lake house, and he has several pastors come in, and Pastor Brandon has done that. For a few times with him, and I'm just so thankful for the relationship that we have, and the relationship that I was able to have with Pastor Travis. I'll tell you this: uh, about three weeks ago, I was on a phone call. Um, I was with—I'm a consultant as well, in addition in all my free time, and uh, which is none. And I was on a call. And we were talking about Radiate Church because Pastor Travis and I had some big plans for some things that were going to take place here. And I was bragging on him saying, I've never met a young man, and he was probably five years younger than me, but still he, he looked way younger than me and was a lot more just better looking than me. And, and uh, so I, I said, I've never met a young man that's more motivated, more meticulous, and more organized than him and that loves Jesus so much that he is ready to take on hell with a water pistol. And I said, he inspires me. And so we we spent a lot of time together talking on Zoom calls and just dreaming and thinking about what we can do for God's kingdom. And now he is worshiping Christ at his feet, and we get the opportunity to carry that on. All right? So... In saying that, I just, I wanted, this is not going to be, we're not going to relive last week, but I did want to honor him because that is my dear friend, and I know that he was so impactful here in the lives of every one of you guys as well. So today, um, I'm just, I'm thankful for the ministry of Radiate Church. So Pastor Brandon, the whole staff, worship was amazing. Um, I was up here crying. I I don't cry a lot. You made me cry. Um, Just some amazing things taking place here. And so you think about what took place in 2023, the highs and lows, the heartache, the joy, but you turn a page, right? Like it's so weird because like it's just another day, January 1st, but like you turn a page and you're like, okay, now things are made new. But here's what I want y'all to understand is this, is that today we're going to focus in on, man, y'all are doing, this is extraordinary. I want y'all to understand this. Like, what y'all have here is not normal. And anybody watching online, listen, you guys, I want to tell y'all thank you for watching, but what you get to experience here as a family of Christ and in Florence as well is exceptional. Whenever pastors come in and speak over at Five Point as well, they say the same thing. And here's what's so interesting about our churches and why I think they're just kind of molded together. We're of the same cloth as I would say, cut from the same cloth, is that this church is not about you and what you can get from it. It's about what you can do for Christ and impact others so that they can come and experience what you get to experience. And it's a completely different mentality from what the traditional church mindset has been in America for 100 years. And so we are the ministers. We get the opportunity to go out and make an impact. And y'all are doing an incredible job about that. During the, the tithe uh, talk, during the, the, the giving talk, I was thinking about all the things that Pastor Travis would share that they were doing. Because we do the same thing. We, we kind of have the same kind of mindset of, we want to help where nobody wants to help. We want to go where nobody wants to go. We want to be the front line. And we want to advance that more and more and more. So today... I want to just start with a little illustration. Since y'all don't know me very well, I feel like I know y'all so well. I've actually been here at service a few times, coming down to the beach, and I've uh, been here a lot of times for some meetings and different things like that, and I just, I love this church. Y'all have a special place in my heart, but I want to just kind of explain. I put a picture up of my family right here, and this is uh, Hudson and Grayson. Hudson's on the left with the blue, uh, are they Dunks, Hud, is it? Uh, Kentucky ducks, excuse me. And uh, gray has the fruity pebbles dunks, whatever those are. And then that's me and Michelle, and just we're stiff. All right, so um, so I was doing a wedding last Sunday during the funeral. Okay, that, that's a picture there, and we actually were able to pray for you guys and able to lift you all up. But those two boys are going to be part of my illustration right there. Hudson, not so much, but he is much like Grayson in this. Grayson's the youngest one. Hudson came with me today, got up at 5.45 this morning, drove down with me. Well, he rode down. He was asleep. Um, <laughs> he's, he's my ride or die. I love it. Uh, but So as, as I was starting to think through this message I, it, it hit me, man, we need some type of encouragement today, but a challenge. Y'all, do y'all love a challenge? Some people don't, but I'm here to tell you, as followers of Christ, man, we should welcome a challenge, okay? Because that's just another opportunity for Christ to show out and show up and to do something miraculous through you, okay? So I was reading an article this is about four years ago, and it was really bothering me how my youngest would act, and Hudson, how Grayson and Hudson would act whenever they lost in athletics. They were super competitive. I don't know where they got that from. It'd be me, not their mama. I hate losing. And I mean, it was like to the point of really embarrassing how bad Grayson would act. And so I, I read this article and it was about a mom who was embarrassed by her son about how he was acting whenever they would lose. So she pulled him out of a game and made him watch the game from afar and then watch the handshakes afterwards. And she she didn't say anything to him. She just said, hey, just watch the losing team, whoever it may be, at the end of this game. So they got home and she at dinner time, she asked, she said, okay, what did you see? She said, well, he said, well, I saw this young kid that hadn't played a lot, but he was encouraging everybody on both teams. And he was smacking people on the butt. He was giving high fives. He was just, he was an encourager. He said, I felt like he was the best loser. And his, his mom was like, okay, that, that might be a little harsh terminology, but that, okay, I, I like where we're going there. And do you think that you can do that? He said, yeah, yeah. He said, but I don't want to lose, but yes, I think I can do that. All right, so we're driving, I think, down to vacation, and I'm, I'm driving, and for some reason, my boys were actually overhearing our conversation. It's the first time in history that's ever happened. They were actually listening, and Hud, you listen a little bit now. You're older, um, but, but they heard me explaining this to my wife, this article to my wife, and I said, do you think it would work? And she was like, I don't know, we can at least give it a try. Because she was fed up with it because she doesn't understand sports in the first place. So she's like, this is all ridiculous. Well, as we went and started going through this, we got back from vacation. We had 10 U All Stars coming up. And Grayson's team lost both games by one run on an error in the last inning. And in the last game, I'm thinking, oh man. I turned to a parent, I said, I'm getting ready to just have to write a speech for apologies to everybody for how Grayson's going to act right here. And lo and behold, Grayson is the one smacking rears and tapping people on the head and consoling the ones that are losing their mind, banging their heads against the fence and all of those things. And I'm like, what has happened? What extraterrestrial has taken over my son? Like, normally, he's the demonic one over here and not the little angel taking care of everybody. Like, what happened? I, I was blown away, and I went and apologized to that parent. I said, to, my son's great now. I don't know. I mean, I don't know what's happened. And I'm not taking any credit for it either. That's what I said. And so I didn't say anything in the car. We drove the hour home, and I got in the driveway, and I said, okay, Grayson, I've got to know. Like, what just happened? Like, why, did, why were you such a good sport out there? Such a horrible thing for a parent to say, but <laughs> it had gotten to that point. And he said, Dad, I overheard you talking, and I, I think I liked doing that. That was kind of cool. He's like, I didn't like the losing part. He said, but I did as best as I could, and I realized that, you know what, there's a lot more than just winning that game. Fast forward three years later, And we are at Wren High School at a 7th grade basketball game where Grayson and them had not lost all season and they're getting beat by 28 points. And Grayson doesn't even go to the handshake line, rips his jersey off, throws it on the floor and goes into the locker room. Failure. (laughs) Utter chaos. Failure. I was so mad. I was just sitting there just fuming. But it, something hit me, man, he knows what he has to do, knows what he can do, but he doesn't want to do what he can do because it's so much easier to do the natural thing. The natural thing is to be mad, to be pouting, to be a bad sport, to be the worst loser, The unnatural thing is to be the best loser and to really encourage and lift up and make a difference. This is Gray right here. And that's him at a visit right now because he's a football player. And so we're up at App State. He's never like that after a game if they lose. But here's the problem. He's only lost three times in the last four years. And I'm not saying that I brag on him, here's the issue. And this is how, he doesn't know how to lose. So whenever it comes, he's not prepared for it. How does he prepare for that? Here's the problem with us as followers of Christ. We try and get on easy streets so much that when trouble comes, we don't know how to lose. And so we don't know how to have that relationship with Christ in the midst of Chaos which I think is very timely right now with what we're dealing with. And so today, we're going to work on some of the opportunities that we have to be the best loser possible, which is going to turn into victory. Okay? And so today, we're going to turn in our, in, in our Bibles... We're going to be in Proverbs and we're going to be in 1 Corinthians. Now here's where, where I want y'all to understand is we're going to be digging into God's Word. And this is the key to everything that we do as followers of Christ is God's Word. Okay, so my pastor would say, okay, how many of y'all have your Bibles here today? And everybody would raise them up and then he'd ask another question. This is the most important question. How have of y'all read them every day this week? And our people would raise their hands. Now, I think we've created a culture of people do not want to face the wrath of the 6'6", 295-pound pastor asking them if they read their Bible. So everybody reads their Bible now and raises their hands. All right? I just don't know how much it's taking. There's one thing to read it. It's another thing to devour it and to basically live the Scripture. It's what we want to talk about today. All right? So we're going to start out. In Proverbs. Let me give you a little bit of background of Proverbs. Proverbs was written by Solomon. Solomon, wisest man in the world, richest man in the world, had everything, and he wrote this book called Ecclesiastes that said life is meaningless. Whew, that's a drastic change. So when we talk about what we're going to talk about today, know that it can go one of two ways. It can go really good, In following Christ, or it can go really bad in following the world, and we can wind up like Solomon, and life is meaningless. And then we're gonna be in first Corinthians. Now, Corinth the city of Corinth was basically like modern-day Vegas, but on steroids. Okay? It was awful. And so Paul is trying to plant this church in Corinth. And he's having to teach them so much. As a matter of fact, First and Second Corinthians is two of four letters. Okay, Paul had to write four letters to this church. No other church had anywhere close to four letters, all right? He just had to keep on talking to them and keep on talking to them. So whenever we're reading this, you have to have that mindset, that background there, okay? So when we start out, we're going to start out with the first point is going to be wisdom is something that we seek. Wisdom is something that everybody seeks, Okay, We want to be wise because we want to know what's going to be taking place or know what we need to do in certain situations. We can be wise of the world, and we can be wise of God. Those are two totally different things. So let's read in Proverbs 4, 7 through 8. The beginning of wisdom is this. Get wisdom, and whatever you get, get insight. Prize her highly. And she will exalt you. She will honor you if you embrace her. Now, let's unpack this for a second. When we think about wisdom, we've got to think about it in a godly sense. Okay? We're not striving for the world's wisdom. I'll tell you, I have been in higher education for so many years. I've got master's degrees. I'm a dissertation away from a doctorate. And I was just like, man, Lord, this is all pointless. You know, why am I doing this? And so I left where I was and went into ministry about 13 years ago. And I've never gone and finished that dissertation. And I have no yearning to go finish that dissertation. Because it's not purposeful for what God's called me to do for the wisdom that I need. What I need is a dissertation in the Bible. And to continue to understand how that is going to mold me into a wiser person for God. Does that make sense? Okay, so wisdom is waiting for us, but we must find it. Okay, wisdom is waiting for us, but we must find it. That's what I want us to always understand as we're going through this message, is that it is, it's there. It's like how God is to us. God doesn't go anywhere when we feel like he's far away from us. Guess who the problem is? It's us. There's something in our lives that is keeping us from having that deep relationship with Christ. And he hasn't gone anywhere. He is where he is and ready to to serve and, and lord over us and lead us and guide us and love us. But we're the ones putting the roadblock up. And so we have to seek it, seek that wisdom, just like we seek out God. Those go hand in hand. All right, so let's read this in 1 Corinthians 1, 18 through 19. I've got a lot of scripture today, and I always say this. Scripture speaks so much better than any of my words, so I always try and minimize my words as much and use the Bible because, well, it's pretty good, all right? 1 Corinthians 1, 18 through 19. For the word of the cross is folly to those who are perishing, but to us who are being saved it is the power of God. For it is written, I will destroy the wisdom of the wise, and the discernment of the discerning I will thwart. All right, so I want us to understand this. This set of scripture is so powerful because it truly demonstrates to us what the world is going to think of us, okay? We are looked at as followers of Christ as being ignorant, intolerant, insensitive. We're narrow-minded. In the world's eyes, we are the opposite of what we should be. Which means we're exactly where we need to be. Because I'm here to tell you the gospel is offensive. Because it, de- it demonstrates to us that Jesus came to this earth and died on the cross to save us from our sins. And that is the only way that we can be saved. Is by acknowledging that, believing, admitting that we're sinners, believing that he died and was resurrected and confessing that He is Lord of our life. And so that is offensive. And then what Jesus spoke was offensive. The Pharisees were offended all the time. The Jews were offended. The Gentiles were offended. It is offensive. But on the flip side of it, it is done in love. Because the alternative is not good. So when we keep it in and not be offensive with the gospel we are actually sinning. And we're losing the wisdom that God has given us to chase after. So two, a righteous wisdom is greater than a worldly knowledge. A righteous wisdom is greater than a worldly knowledge. When we think about this, man, worldly knowledge is, is great. School fantastic. Learning, fantastic. But when that becomes the most important thing in your life, learning about, you know, your trade or, or, or something like that that you are doing, whenever it supersedes God, then you've, you have the wrong wisdom in your life. When you think you have things figured out, you have the wrong wisdom in your life. Because it means that you have it figured out and you aren't depending upon God anymore. Whenever I feel like I'm in a place of, like I feel complacent or comfortable, I realize that I'm in the wrong place. Does that make sense? And so when we have wisdom, godly wisdom, it's going to point us in a direction that's never going to allow us to get into a complacent or comfortable spot. We're always going to know the next place to go. And if we don't, we need to be uncomfortable in trying to find that next place as we're seeking out God. In the meantime, as I call it. So in Proverbs 8, 4-9, it says this. To you, O men, I call, and my cry is to the children of man. O simple ones, learn prudence. O fools, learn sense. Hear, for I will speak noble things from my lips. For my, and my, from my lips will come what is right, for my mouth will utter truth. Wickedness is an abomination to my lips. All the words of my mouth are righteous. There's nothing twisted or crooked in them. And then rubber meets the road right here. They are all straight to him who understands and right to those who find knowledge. That knowledge is not of the world. That knowledge is of God. And that's Solomon saying this at the start of his life, whenever he was seeking after. Solomon then was led astray mainly by women and the idols that they brought in and marrying and having concubines and worshiping them and forgetting who gave him all the blessings in the first place. See how easily we can be on the right track but then be veered off of it so quickly when we take our eyes off of who is providing everything for us? And I will tell you this, guys, in the midst of tribulation, in the midst of turmoil, it's so easy to turn away after God has provided you an answer, saying, okay, I've got the answer. I'm going to go do my thing because that was too hard. God's going to give you the sustaining. He's going to give you the perseverance. What he's doing right now with all of you here at Radiate is he's refining you. You are in the refinement process. And here's where I just have seen it over and over and over, and in our church as well. Guys, our church went from about 1,000 people to almost 3,000 people in four years. And it was the hardest four years of our lives because of all the things that we went through in the process of refinement. And so what I want to encourage you guys is this, is that God prepares you, each and every one of you For what's going to be taking place and the impact that you're going to have in taking radiate outside the walls of this church, because this isn't going to be big enough. It's not already. When I saw kids check in over there, I was like, Lord have mercy. I love kids. My wife is was over our children's ministry for uh, like 15 years. She's now over all of our ministries, and we have like 700 kids that come on Sundays, and it is chaos. But it's the greatest chaos ever. Because you know what, families that y'all come with kids, God bless you all. I love y'all so much because y'all get up and get them going and y'all probably have a terrible attitude doing it, but you walk in that door and you smile and you put on that that face and you go and check them in and then you're like, praise God, they're in nursery. (laughs) And everybody else who doesn't do that, y'all need to go volunteer in there, right? (laughs) But what I'm saying is this is that what you are doing as bringing those children and getting them in there and allowing them to hear the wisdom of what God has in store for them, and you are in here being filled with that wisdom, and then you will teach them day in and day out throughout the week that wisdom, is that they are going to be set up in such a way that they have the opportunity to be a world changer way before you were. Okay? That is what's so beautiful about our churches, that when we have so many young people in so many different generations within the church, there's a lot of righteous wisdom. Okay? All right. So we set the tone for others when we're showing that we are the best loser. Now, let me unpack this real quickly. So what I mean by that is this. Let's take David, for instance. And David, man, David's such an interesting figure. One of my favorite guys in the Bible of how God uses him in the midst of so much stuff that he went through and the decisions that he made. It was the consequences of his decision. But before all that, he's bringing the Ark of the Covenant into Jerusalem, okay? And if y'all remember what he's doing, he's, he's in a loincloth and he is dancing before the Ark, praising God. And his first wife, Michael, says, you are basically an embarrassment to God. And he's like, well, if I'm an embarrassment, then let me be the greatest embarrassment to God because I am going to be the the most outspoken follower of God to praise him because he's given me everything. Okay, And so for us, at that point, David was looked at, he was that best loser because he went through so much, so much turmoil, but he was able to impact so many people in spite of it. Let's read this first Corinthians one twenty through twenty-five. Where is the one who is wise? Where is the scribe? Where is the debater of this age? Has not God made foolish the wisdom of the world? For since the wisdom of God, the world did not know God through wisdom. When will we learn that even the weakest part of God is stronger than anything the world has to offer? And when we realize that, when we finally get the idea that God will provide, man, it will blow you away for the moment. But then we'll get used to it. Then we'll take it for granted. Then we'll think, okay, God, you're with me. Here's where I want to go. Here's the path I want to go. No, we still have to practice that obedience. We have to practice the obedience of what God wants us. That is ultimately godly wisdom, being obedient where he leads us. So number three, and this is where the obedience comes in. To to be wise, you must be willing. To be wise, you must be willing. So whenever I think about the willingness of what Christ has called us to do, it's basically to die to self, right? Okay? That's what, that's what Paul describes to us is to die to self each day and to pick up the cross of Christ. Okay? So let's read in Proverbs 8, 10 through 11 how valuable this wisdom is. Take my instruction instead of silver... And knowledge rather than choice gold. For wisdom is better than jewels, and all that you may desire cannot compare with her. All right, guys, so here's the gist of it it's pretty simple. It's like we're starting off the new year with the fundamentals. That's what every sport does or every band does whenever you're getting ready to start a new season. You are going to start off with the fundamentals. Okay? And so, What the fundamentals are is this. We read our Bible, but we don't just read it to read it and to check off of a list. We read it to know our God better because it is our love letter to us, okay? We pray to our Heavenly Father, not because we want to check it off the list, but we want to understand that when we communicate with our Heavenly Father, just like I communicate with Hudson or I communicate with Michelle, my wife, or Grayson, I'm demonstrating love to them. I'm demonstrating love to him. And we're having a conversation that he can speak into my life. And then there's other people in your lives that can speak into your life as well. And that can make a difference in your life. But you don't want to go to the person that's giving you the bad advice. Because they have never demonstrated their their, uh, godly wisdom. They've only demonstrated a worldly wisdom. Don't go to that person. Go to the one that demonstrates the godly wisdom. But here's what I want to to really challenge you guys. This is the last thing. I I played basketball for many years. Um, I I was a good high school basketball player, went to college as a walk-on, and got all the punishment of being a walk-on. And one of the things that I love about basketball is just how athletic it is, and that was one reason why I was just a walk-on. And... (laughs) It amazed me, like, the strategy and the structure of the game. And so as a walk-on, you did a lot of the stuff that nobody else wanted to do. So I was hitting the laundry. I was cleaning up the locker room. I was always there, you know, running and, and doing extra things. And, you know... Before a game, you know pretty much the games that you might have a chance to get into, but you, you really don't. And, and you know the ones that you're not going to get into, so you go like 5,000% in warm-ups, because that's all that you're going to get is that warm-up. And at halftime, you're the only one shooting shots. But, you know, it's, it's amazing because what happens is this. I love watching teams with good culture. Because the guys on the sidelines, it doesn't matter whether they're in the game or not, they are cheering their teammates on, okay? They're ready. So that, that, team, that, was, uh, that team that was really like just killing everybody, they're, they're, they're dominating, okay? The, the walk-ons are watching and they're paying attention. They're cheering. They're, if they hit a three, you know, they're, they're shooting the bow and arrow. They got all their little cheers on the sidelines. It's like a cheerleading team. Okay, that's their thing. But then there's always the moment where that team's up 20, okay? And the coach says, Lawson, you're in. And you stand up, and you're like, oh, my goodness, it's a minute left. I got a whole minute I got to play. All right, so you go in, and the crowd there is chanting your name. Lawson, Lawson, get Lawson the ball, Lawson, Lawson. And they're hollering it. You get the ball. You haven't shot in two hours. But you get the ball. You shoot it. It's a brick. You run back down the court. Everybody's like, ah. But you're going through and you're playing D and you're like, okay, there's 15 seconds left. Oh, my goodness. There's 15 seconds. There's 14, 13. You get a steal. You come back down. You catch the ball in the corner. You shoot it. You make it. The crowd goes nuts. And you look over at the bench And they're all cheering you too because they know the hard work that you've put in, they know that you are prepared, and they know that you're the best teammate that you possibly could be. But here's the problem, and I didn't get to say this last service, we have people that don't want to get off the bench. You have your name getting called all the time, but you don't want to get off the bench because you aren't prepared. The only reason why I hit that shot in the corner was because I'd practiced that shot 500 times that week. Guys, we have to be prepared. 2024 is a year, I call it, my my word is of discipline. I want to be disciplined to the point where I'm so prepared for whatever God calls me to do that I'm ready. And I've got his wisdom. I'm obedient to what he's calling me to do. And, guys, we have that power within us whenever we open it up for God to use us. All right? Let me pray for us. Father, we love you so much. God, today, man, as hard as it is, Father, January 7th is something special in 2024. Lord, it is a day of new beginnings and an opportunity for Radiate Church to take it to another level, to advance the front line. But God, we have to do our part so you can do your part. So Lord, I challenge each and every person today, Lord, that is in here, that's hearing your word being preached, that's online, Father, over at Florence, Lord, I pray that you will allow us, Father, to understand, God, it's just the beginning of what you want to do in our lives. We have to be willing and ready, Father, so prepare our hearts for you to take us to another level and to be the best, best dang loser out there, Father, to impact people's lives, Father, for you, for your glory, and for your kingdom because that term loser gets turned into victor with you, Jesus. We never see defeat because of you, Jesus. Lord, we love you, we praise you, and we thank you.